0: Some last names are quite long. Treschinsky is a long name. Esh, E-S-H, is a short name. But that doesn't mean the person with a short name doesn't have a lot to say for us today. Rob Esh is a former pastor. He's been a part of the Midway's um, pastor peer meetings for many years. So he knew Ernest, uh, he knows Matthew. I've been to meet with him several times and I've known him as a person of great heart of great faithfulness, a person who really, as a pastor, uh, uh, served his people well. And I forward to what Rob will have to say for us today, after we hear a word as written from James from Terry.
1: James 1:27 through 2, 8, verses 14 through 17. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead.
0: My dear brothers and sisters, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism, Now just suppose a man comes into your meeting with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothing, and another comes into your meeting dressed in shabby clothing. If you treat the one in fine clothing in such a way, saying, sit here in an honored place, but to the one in shabby clothing you say, sit over there, Haven't you discriminated between them and are judging with evil thoughts? Now, just suppose we are invited today to begin by recalling a time when you were treated in a particular way because of your outward appearance you recall such a time has that ever happened to you what did that feel like how did you react how did you respond let me tell you a story in uh, the spring of 1977 i was a sophomore at eastern mennonite college and um I hadn't switched my major yet. I started at EMC as a Bible major. Everybody was telling me I should be a preacher. Um, and, um, but then after my sophomore year, I switched my major to social work because I was really turned off with formal biblical studies. But in my sophomore year, I was in a class called The Prophets taught by um, Willard Swartley one of my favorite classes, got my worst grade. <laughs> but I was, we, were, we were in the midst of studying the, the book of Amos and uh, I was taken with the, the verses that said, let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. And uh, <clears throat> And and with how Amos blasted the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, for the way they were treating the poor. There's a chapter in Amos where he says, now, you you cows of Bashan. Uh, He calls the the women of Israel fat cows of Bashan. You cows of Bashan who say to your husband, bring us more, bring us more. You sit on your beds of ease. And so I went home on holiday from Virginia. Home is northwestern Pennsylvania. Um, and um, our pastor at the church asked me to preach. And I was all into Amos. And so I decided, I'm going to let these people have it. Uh, I grew up in that church. You know, that, that they knew me since I was a snot-nosed kid. And, um, and so I, I um, decided to preach like this. I decided to go to church. Actually, I probably looked a little, my pants were a little better shaped than these. But uh, <clears throat> you have to understand, this is 1977. And at that time, I don't know what it was like here at Midway in 1977, but at that time, a little church that, there in Spartansburg, um, many of the men still wore those straight collared coats. All the women had bonnets on their head and mm. Uh, you didn't see women in slacks, or you certainly didn't see men in jeans. And my first indication on how that morning was going to go was at my home. We were staying with my parents, and uh, as I was getting ready for church, and it's time to go to church, and my dad looked at me and said, Are "You going to church like that?" And um, and so I went, and you know, when it came time for me to go in the pulpit, like today, I came up in the pulpit and proceeded to. Bringing that message from the prophecy of Amos. was the first time, not the last, but the first time I was kind of shouted down out of the pulpit. You know, they got really angry at me. And I remember one of the brothers in particular who said, because this is real shortly after my B.S. experience, I remember one of the brothers in particular said, we supported you throughout your V.S. experience and we've been behind you all the way and yet you you disrespect us enough to come dress like that. I was me. I was the same me who had always been. I preached there a number of times before. I was the president of the MYF group. I was on the quiz team. You know, nothing had changed. I was just me but I was dressed like this. Enough time has passed since 1977 that those brothers who got so angry at me have all gone now to be with, in the arms of Jesus, and I'm looking forward to joining them someday. I don't think that their, their reaction to my clothing and my decision to dress like that, to preach, um, stood in the way of, of, their, of their faith and righteousness and their salvation. But I learned some things that day, too. I learned some things about the fact that um, you know, basically they knew. They knew me. And they knew that those weren't the only clothes that I have. So full disclosure, I'm not poor. In fact, I have two brand new pairs of jeans in my, in my closet right now that I just bought last week because most of my jeans ended up looking like this. Um, And so they knew me, and I learned that. and, And I thought about this this morning, as I was getting ready to come down here this morning. I probably took more time in preparation in the way that I look. I took more time to do that, to look like this, than if I would have just got dressed the way I normally go to church. You know, and so the outward appearance that we have, um, we, can, we can put more time into the outward appearance that ends up being not fine, not with gold rings and fine clothing. Um, and I think we do that. I think we do that. And get that outward appearance oftentimes is, is how we end up um, judging one another. I am not poor. I am blessed. I am so blessed that I have the liberty, as probably a lot of you do, of flipping that coin from that original question, that question of, do you recall a time in which you were judged based on your outward appearance? Flip that coin. Can you recall a time when you judged based on your outward appearance, on someone's outward appearance? Let me tell you another quick story early 2000s, I'm not sure exactly when, but early 2000s, maybe 01 or 02, somewhere in there. On a Saturday evening, I was at our local Walmart doing what you do at a Walmart on Saturday evening, gathering, getting some last minute things so that I don't have to run to Walmart on a Sunday because it seems like every other day of the week, I'm there. Uh, But as I'm coming out of the Walmart, a group of young people are coming in young guys, uh, teenage. And uh, one of the guys in the group in particular caught my eye because he was tattooed from his wrist. He, he had a um, tank top on, and he was tattooed from his wrist all the way up to where I couldn't see under his shirt. Up his neck, I think at that time he didn't have any tattoos on his face yet. I saw him later, and he did tattoo his face, but at that point he hadn't yet. But he has hair cut in a mohawk, Mohawk, you know, what that, you know, strip of hair down the middle, shaved close on the sides. But he had that hair that he did have, I don't know how he treated it, cement or something, because it stuck straight up in the air. It was about that high. You know, woo! And he, And he's coming into the door as I'm coming out and his friends, and some of them were tattooed as well. And I remember thinking, look at this idiot. Who would go out looking like that? And immediately I started to just, I had, it was a visceral reaction, a gut reaction to the the first impression, the outward appearance of this guy. And I'm like, you know, what a schmuck, you know? (laughs) Well, at that same time, at Valley View, I had been pastoring for about five years by then. We had a young couple in our congregation who really had a heart for youth. And they became uh, the sponsors of our MYF group, our Mennonite Youth Fellowship group. They really weren't very satisfied with how that was going. They met every two weeks at somebody's house, and they played kick the can and had a devotional and ate. And this young couple said, you know, we want to do something different. We want to start having worship services. Um, just a worship service, you know. No, not spending the bulk of our time playing games and things like that, but you know, they're really getting together and singing and, and worshiping and those kind of things. And they started to bring in kids from the community. And if you end up you know, Spartansburg and Valley View is a lot like this. It sits on a, on a rural road outside of town. Um, maybe a little closer to, to Spartansburg than you are to Columbiana, but, um, but they started bussing in and vans you know, going every which direction and bringing in kids from three or four different school districts. And it reached a point where they, they, they were doing it every Monday evening, and it reached a point where the attendance of the youth worship service on Monday evening was almost as high as our Sunday morning worship attendance. Was almost and in effect. Uh, Wayne Litchie, our regional uh, pastor for Ohio Conference at the time, told me, um, "Rob, you're you're getting two congregations going here, competing congregations. You know, you have your Sunday morning, and now you have your Monday evening. And is there any overlap or what?" And what I was dealing with as pastor was a lot of conflict b- between those two groups because there were a lot of people that were part of the established congregation that were just like, what are we bringing all these kids in here? You know, but at any rate, so that was going on. And I didn't always attend the Monday evening. In fact, I didn't often attend, but every now and then I would attend the, the Monday evening youth worship service for whatever reason, I don't remember why. The following Monday after I had seen this lady with the tattoo and the, and the spiked hair, I did. And you know, and lo and behold, here this guy was at our youth worship service. This this group that had I had met coming in, they were at youth worship. And not only that, but I found out that they were a Christian band, a Christian punk band, if you can imagine that. Now this is you know, it's not my kind of music, but over the years, well within within a couple of years there, my my son who was recording groups and and uh, producing CDs for different groups up in the area. Um, Got to know these people and did some recording for them. And he ended up taking them on tour. I had a big 15 passenger van with a tow hitch and so they hooked up their equipment trailer. And they went on tour as far west as Denver, Colorado, Albuquerque, New Mexico, all over the country playing in bars and in dance clubs and, you know, all kinds of venues that I would never go in. And yet, well, they would go in and they would do their loud, screechy, screaming music, <laughs> music, I don't know. Uh, anyhow, but, but underneath that was always a message of hope, was always a message, you know. And, these, and, and some of them now, this is, you know, this much later, almost 20 years later. Some of them now have gone on into different ministries. Greg, you ask in our Sunday school prayer group there, whether there are certain things that we react to, and that's one of mine. Tattoos, I'm sorry. I, I still react when I see people all covered with tattoos. I just, I'm sorry. I just do. And I have to work real hard at seeing them as you suggested, not through my eyes, but through the eyes of God. But at any rate, that experience, those reactions that we have when we have that visceral gut reaction, kind of to a to a person's outward appearance, that is just so natural. That is so normal. That is so na- that is our default setting. We can't help it. We can't help it. It's human. It's what we do when. When we encounter someone for the first time, we are going to have a reaction. We're going to have an impression, good or bad. You know, it's just what we do. So, so what's the problem? So what's the problem with that? Well, here's the problem. It's highlighted in a story that Greg Boyd tells at the beginning of his book, um, repenting of religion. I don't know if any of you have read the book or not, but um, I appreciate his writing. Um, it's a good read, but repenting of religion. And I think he repeats the story in, I don't know if it's the myth of a Christian religion or the myth of a Christian nation, I'm not sure, but I know I've read it in a couple of his books. But he tells a story about how he went shopping with his wife, and he's not a shopper, he's like me. If, if my wife were to take me to the mall, um, I lose interest real quickly, and, um, and Greg Boyd says that, so they went to the mall, I don't know, Mall of America or wherever, and so he would end up sitting, he would just find a place to sit, a bench to sit, and he would end up watching people, so this is happening, his wife is shopping and he finds a place, I don't know, food court or wherever, and he's sitting, and, and as he's sitting there he's watching people come by and as they're coming by he's, he suddenly becomes aware of those first impressions that he's having oh look there's a couple holding hands look there's so much in love they look so sweet and nice what in the world is up with this doofus here you know he he finds himself making those kind of impressions and all of a sudden the spirit impresses upon him what are you doing what are you doing you're judging people based on how they look, based on those first impressions. You're judging them. And, and he says the Spirit of God told him, that's not your job. That's not your job to judge others. You have one thing and one way only as a follower of Jesus Christ that you should look at people. And that is through the eyes that say, this person is worth me dying for. This person is worth Christ dying for, no matter who it is, no matter how they look, no matter what our my gut reaction, no matter what my gut judgment, judgment might be. So, so that's the problem. With our natural default tendency. The problem is that that is inconsistent. That judgment is inconsistent with the heart of God. Today's text begins at the end of the first chapter of James where it says, where he talks about what pure and faultless religion is. Let me go back one verse before we started, verse 26. He says, If any man thinks he's religious or would claim to be religious and doesn't bridle his tongue. His religion is empty. And then he goes on to say, religion that is pure and faultless before the Lord is to care for widow, orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted. In defining a pure and faultless religion in the way that he does, James is actually channeling the psalmist. In Psalm, in psalm 146, uh, the psalmist talks about how God's heart is with the poor and he, and he protects the, the weak and looks after the blind. And in, later in the psalm it says, and he sustains... He sustains the fatherless and the widows. That's where God's heart is. James is channeling Moses as well. Deuteronomy 24, um, in verses 20 and 21, he talks about when you harvest your olive trees, don't shake the branches twice. Leave what's left for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. And throughout the Levitical code God shows this heart. In Leviticus 19, when you harvest your fields, don't harvest to the corners. Don't harvest to the edges of the field. Leave the corners and the edges of the field for the alien, the fatherless and the widow. That's that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. And James as he goes on into the text that we looked at and heard this morning where he talks about don't show favoritism you know because if you do you're beginning to discriminate between people and you're judging with evil thoughts that's what we do we're human the minute we start the minute we start doing god's work instead of doing the work that he has assigned to us By God's work, I mean judging in where we shouldn't be, the work that should belong to God and not to us. Then then we begin to look on that outward appearance. And that reminded me in one of my devotional readings for the week was in 1 Samuel 16, 7. If you're familiar with that, that's the calling of David, or that's the anointing of David. God says to Samuel, what do you... you, uh, Continuing to grieve for, for Saul. I have rejected him. Throw your horn with oil. Get down to Bethlehem. You know, gather Jesse's family together and I'll show you what you should do. So Saul goes down to Bethlehem, uh, gathers Jesse's family together, and says to Jesse, Bring, bring your sons. And um, says, When Eliab shows up, Saul looks and says, Surely, surely this is the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. The Lord says to Samuel, no, I reject him. Don't consider him. Don't consider his height. Don't look. Because it says then, for man judges by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And the son of Jesse who ends up being anointed king is the youngest, the shepherd, just a kid, just a boy. It's interesting to me, this is an aside, it's interesting to me that it says when David came in that he was ruddy and very handsome. <laughs> Why did it tell us that? I don't know. Anyhow, so defining pure and faultless religion in the way he does, James is right in the stream of all of Scripture, which which uh, displays to us the heart of God. And that's our problem. This gap between our very natural default tendency to judge based on outward appearance. That gap between that and the heart of God, that's our problem to deal with. And it is our problem because it clouds and it complicates our ability to act out our faith consistently with what James calls the royal law found in Scripture. The royal law. It's the only place in Scripture where it's called that. The royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, Leviticus, the words of Jesus. Paul says it several times. James, James here calls it the royal law. And, and this tendency that we have to judge on outward appearance, to base in first impressions and base our judgment, and base not just our judgment, not just how we feel, not just how we think, but how we treat others. That stands in the way of us being able to act out our faith consistently with um, so many of the admonitions of the words in the life of Christ. Now, As James goes on into into this passage, and we didn't read the whole chapter, but as he goes on, he begins to talk about that gap between faith and works. You know, you say you have faith. Uh, Show me your faith without doing work. Show me your faith without deeds. Now show you faith by what I do, James says. And James has been accused of, of uh, promoting a works gospel, that we're saved by works, as opposed to the Apostle Paul's, you know, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, not of yourself, it is a gift of God, so no one can boast. And so we have this. So which is it? So which is it? Is it grace by faith? Or is it faith in action? Perhaps you've heard this, I've heard this oftentimes, and maybe you have too. This kind of goes back to James talking about a religion that is pure and faultless. But I've heard so many people say, we as Christians don't have a religion. We have a relationship. You've heard that. We don't have a religion. We have a relationship. Really? Really? Exactly how does that play out? Exactly how does that play out in our lives? A relationship that isn't codified into, you know, religious, religious structure. Well, James says it when he says, show me your faith without deeds. I just quoted that a while ago. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. And then he goes on to describe, he uses Abraham as an example. He goes on to describe faith and deeds working together. And basically he's saying, if that isn't happening, faith and deeds working together, then that faith, in James's word, pretty blunt, is dead. It's not faith at all. I heard that line in the Sunday School material. Faith that is not acted upon and acted out is not faith at all. So how does this relationship that we supposedly have with Jesus, not a religion about Jesus, but a relationship with Jesus, how does that play out in action? What does that look like in our lives? If you stay with the curriculum you're using, and I have no idea where you're going from here, But if you stay with that, um, next week's text, Jesus is going to be even more graphic because in next week's text in Matthew 25, Jesus puts it like this, inasmuch as you have done it or not done it, to the least of these, you've not done it to me. Now that's relationship. That's relationship, that's faith in action Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pause to acknowledge you as God and to confess before you that there are times when our natural tendencies are to step into shoes that belong only to you. To look at others with eyes of judgment, to so easily shift into those natural, those natural forces and those natural reactions that cause us to judge with evil thoughts. And for that we ask your forgiveness. And as we've gone into your word this morning and as we think about how that word applies in our own lives and the, our own experiences that we've had, I just pray that we would be able to see in your word and see in the lives of others around us This call of Christ to go out and do unto the least of these. To take up the heart, your heart, for the poor, the outcast, the alien, the stranger, the orphan, the widow. Bless us as we commit ourselves to this end for the cause of Christ Jesus. Amen. Before I step down, I'd just like to say how much I appreciate being invited Uh, even though it was on short notice. I asked Greg to send me the text, and I would see if I, when I got this text, I was like, oh yes. It only took me like five minutes to, to say I'm gonna. But you know, this doesn't work anymore. This is not 1977. You can go to the mall, and you can pay a lot of money for pants just like these. I want you to know that I did this the hard way. These babies wore out. And so, you know, times change. And just like I said back at that day, this was pretty dramatic today. And I would say this. I walked into Sunday school. didn't see a single person raise their eyebrows at me or, you know, react in any way. As soon as I came through the door, someone said, oh, you must be robbed the preacher. <laughs> so, so thank you,
1: Midway. I really appreciate being here. God bless you all.